My name is Nick Wagner Sr., and I am the creator of the Full Potential Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Full Potential Podcast. And today we have a fantastic guest uh, who was, and I love Amy, how I, how my guests come to be. So one of our previous guests, Tony, um, recommended you. So Amy Waninger is our guest for today's podcast. So Amy, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. And, and Amy, uh, you know, I mentioned one of our previous guests, Tony Kanas recommended, he recommended you join the podcast after I interviewed him. He was like, Nick, I have a, I have a guest for you. You have to talk with Amy. I'm like, okay, cool. And I, I really like, thought Tony was a great guest and I get a lot of guests referring other guests to me. So we can thank Tony for the connection. Wonderful. Uh, so I want to start out. I, I love, you know, I've, I've looked at, you know, your website. I've looked at uh, your LinkedIn. Cause I always, I always do some research on my guests before uh, we, we do the podcast. And one thing that I love, I love reading is the, the profile descriptions on LinkedIn. So yours reads working with organizations that want to build diverse leadership bench strength for a sustainable competitive advantage, which to me sounds pretty cool, but I think to the average listener, they might not know what that means. So I'm, I'm, I'm an HR like we discussed. So I, I understand that, but why don't you share a little bit about what, what, what does that mean? And, and give us you know a little bit of in, uh, introduction about yourself. Sure thing. Thank you. So what I mean by diverse leadership bench strength is that organizations, a lot of organizations in a lot of different industries, you know, there's a a gap between the talent that the organizations need and the talent that they're able to find. And what I want to help them do is identify not just the numbers of people that they need, but really tap into the potential of maybe employees that they haven't considered before as employees or as leaders and really get beyond kind of the obvious and the defaults in their leadership pipelines to include more people who maybe don't fit the mold of what they traditionally think of as leaders in their organizations. And the reason I say that's for a sustainable competitive advantage is because our demographics in the US especially are changing, but in most of the developed economies around the world, demographics are changing. Um, We're getting more diverse ethnically and in terms of the languages that we speak, um, our our religions are changing, our religious composition um, in our societies is changing. We have more women who are educated and in the workforce than we've ever had previously around the world. Um, And so there are just a lot of differences about the workforce and the customers and the markets um, today than there were 20 or 40 or 50 years ago. And I think it's important for companies to realize that and really capitalize on, um, you know, helping their employees look like the communities that they serve. I I completely agree about the, the, the diversity the diversity discussion is it, it's, it's almost ever changing. And uh, I think the, the, the organizations and the nonprofits and the educational institutions, anyone that, that I think embraces diversity as much as possible, I think to your point are, are basically bound to set them, set themselves up for more success because if you have a, a diverse workforce or a diverse, you know, nonprofit board or a diverse set of educators, that's going to match up with probably your customer base better. So I think that's well said. Thank you. Uh, one, one, one question I had, because 
you mentioned technology um, and insurance or the industries you work with. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, you're, you're doing, you know, you're an entrepreneur now, you own your own business, you're, you're doing leadership, you know, diversity, inclusion, career management, things like that, coaching, public speaking. Yet you went to school, like we'll go back to college for a second here, which I think is really fascinating for computer science, math, and criminal justice. Yes. Which, wow, like that, that, <laughs> that's an interesting combination, right? And I think, I think there's some Spanish in there too, according to your LinkedIn. Yep. So I'd love to kind of give the audience a little bit of background on how someone with a computer science and a criminal justice and a math degree ended up doing what you're doing today, because I feel like that is not a common path. No, it is not. So I grew up, it helps to know that I grew up in Southern Indiana in a very um, homogeneous community. So the community that I grew up, grew up in was 99.9% white, um, non-Hispanic, and very blue collar in its nature. So not a lot of college graduates lived where I lived. And really the only people I knew who had been to college were the teachers that I had in school and my doctor. And that was really it. And so I thought, because I was always told I had to go to college, I thought everybody had to go to college. I thought it was mandatory. And so I thought the people in my community had all been to college. So I assumed that business degrees were for people who wanted to be bank tellers. And I assumed that engineering degrees were for the people who drove the trains. Literally, that was my thinking as a, as a child and you know even into my teenage years. And so when I went to college, I didn't really know what it meant to go to college and get a degree and, and get a professional, you know, work toward a career, right, beyond college. And so I just took classes that were interesting to me. And um, somewhere along the line, after I changed my major about 400 times, and I kind of figured out, oh, I have, I'm supposed to get a job at the end of this. And um, I decided I was going to be uh, pre-law. And I was going to work for the ACLU because I had read about them somewhere and thought, wow, what a great organization, the American Civil Liberties Union. My senior year of college, I learned about the same time um, as I was getting ready to take the LSAT, which is the law school entrance exam. Um, I learned the meaning of the phrase pro bono and how much law school was going to cost. And I realized the ACLU was not going to be um, an employer of choice for me. So, but I kept taking the classes and I finished my degree. My, my first bachelor's degree was in criminal justice. I had minors in sociology and Spanish, and I was one class shy of an African-American studies major. Um, really wanted to do work in diversity and inclusion and equity and civil rights um, at that time, even though diversity and inclusion and equity weren't really terms that anyone used back then. Um, when I graduated, since I decided not to go to law school because I really couldn't take on more debt, I uh, ended up in a job, you know, it was a pretty dead-end job at the mall, and then another job at a, at a local company that just wasn't going anywhere. And I was getting kind of frustrated, and a, a young lady that I worked with said, you know, I'm going back for computer science. I'm getting a degree in computer science. I think you'd be really good at that. And I said, well, I don't really like computers. And she said, you don't have <laughs> to like computers. 
<laughs> she said, but you're really logical. You like puzzles. You're good at math. I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. And she said, well, companies are hiring and their starting salaries are really high. And, you know, this was right before Y2K. So for the folks in your audience old enough to remember, there were a lot of computer science jobs back then. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was it was an interesting time. That is for sure. In, in the in the in the tech world. Yeah. And so um, I, like so many others, you know, got a degree in computer science, went out and got a job. And, um, you know, the world didn't end in 2000, spoiler alert. And, but a lot of jobs did because then the work was over. And so there were a lot of booms and busts in the early 2000s. And I got really good at, at changing jobs because I had to. Um, at one point, I ended up in the insurance industry as a, um, an analyst working in IT. And that company was hiring. And like so many people um, who end up in the insurance industry, I did it quite by accident. Still working in IT. Um, but within the insurance industry and the stability of the insurance industry really appealed to me after having so many, um, you know, layoffs and, uh, you know, companies closing and projects ending and, you know, all of that for so many years. So um, I worked in an insurance company um, for about a decade and about halfway through that time, um, the company hired a chief diversity officer. And I read about what she was going to do when she came in. And I thought, oh, that's what I want to do. I didn't know you could get paid to do that. And so I started reading everything I could and volunteering as much as I could with employee resource groups, all of the diversity initiatives within that company, um, just to try to see what I could learn and what I could pick up. And, you know, could I do this for a living? And um, so I spent a lot of my free time volunteering, you know, within my company to get to that point. And um, so then a couple of things happened kind of all at once that sort of converged into me forming my own company. Um, one of them was I went to a conference for the first time ever. I'd had 20 years of career as a high potential employee, or at least I think I was high potential. And uh, nobody ever sent me to a conference. I can't believe that now looking back. But I went to this conference. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. People come together. You learn about the industry. You meet people from different companies and different parts of you know, different parts of your industry doing different things. And then, you know, people share what they know. I would like to share some things that I've learned. So I put together a proposal to speak at the at that conference the next year. And I had a few sentences and a couple of bullet points and this horrible, horrible thing happened. They accepted my proposal. <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to assume your show is G-rated and I will not say what I thought at that moment, but I thought, oh man, I've got to go come up with an hour's worth of content around this topic of diversity and inclusion in the insurance industry. I have, I knew what I wanted to talk about. I didn't know what I was going to say. So I spent some time brainstorming and writing and procrastinating and brainstorming some more. And in the process of doing this, I came up with this framework for assessing professional networks because one of the things I knew I needed to do for this session was appeal to people who were at all stages of their career in lots of different kinds of roles at lots of different kinds of companies. So I had to get to a common denominator that was going to appeal to a lot of people. And I started thinking professional networks are really important no matter who you are, right? And I came up with a, a framework to assess the depth and breadth of my own professional network. 
And I was like, this is so cool. And I, and then I took my test and I failed it miserably. And that's when something interesting happened. I changed my behavior. I changed where I showed up. I changed what meetings I went to, where I sat when I went to lunch at a different office, who I talked to, who I invited out for coffee. And because I was aware of how much the people in, the net, in my network looked like me and were from where I was from and were people that I was comfortable around, it forced me to get uncomfortable. Because here I was doing all this volunteer work in diversity and inclusion, and my own network didn't reflect the diversity and inclusion of the people around me. Interesting. That change completely transformed my career. And so I decided, well, this talk has to be more than just one conference one time. Um, I really need to do something more with this because I saw the, the effect that it had on me in my career. So I wrote my first book, Network Beyond Bias. And I spoke, I think, 35 times last year uh, wow. at various conferences and companies on this topic um, and a few others, but primarily on the topic of networking um, with a, an intentional focus on diversity. And I think, and, and so thanks, thanks for kind of sharing that. I think I, I maybe I'm wrong, but you have multiple books now. I do. Uh, with some available, some coming out. So, and we'll, we'll make sure we, we link to your website in the show description so everyone can go check out, you know, all the, all the, all that you offer um, on, on in, through your business lead at any level. But Thank I want, you. I want, I want to, I want to rewind and ask you a few follow-ups to that really cool story. So I don't, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. I have, I have so many, I have so many questions for you, Amy. So sure. I, I want to start with going back to before college, right? And you mentioned you grew up in a really small town and you, your assumption was you had to go to college, even though, um, even though you, you didn't really, it sounds like you didn't even really know why you needed to go to college or what the intent would be or the end game, but you felt like you had to go there. Yes. What, what was it like growing up in that really small town in Indiana? And how do you think that experience kind of made you who, are, who you are today? Well, I think the neat thing about small towns is that everybody's job is important and everybody's job is equally important, Right. Small towns can't function without the people who deliver the mail and the people who work, you know, at the gas station and, you know, the, the people who are the janitors at the schools, right? And not only do the towns not function without those people, but you know who they are personally because they're the parents of your friends. And so you really have to, you grow up in that area or in that environment having respect for people no matter what their job is. And I think that that's something that gets lost sometimes in corporate cultures where people are very status, may only show deference or respect or really listen to people who outrank them. And that's something that's always been very interesting to me because that's just not how I grew up. And I think I took that for granted for a long time. So, you know, while certainly there's, 
there's something to be said about not having a lot of opportunities, especially, you know, before you had internet, right? So it's not like you could telecommute from a small town in Indiana and work for a major company 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Um, although in some places you still couldn't because the Wi-Fi, good internet access there. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of opportunity for professional work, um, you know, for career type work in those areas. And I think that's unfortunate. Um, but the upside is you learn to value people, not job titles. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. And it's, you know, I almost wonder, right. Did, is your passion for networking and, you know, what you really built your brand on is a lot of that tie back to your experience being in a small town and knowing almost everyone there. Right. You know, so when you're in a small town, to your point, you, you, you know, pretty much everyone, it, you know, where it's different from you if you live in like New York where it's 9 million people. So, you know, I almost wonder if that was like the underpinnings of, of, of your whole networking kind of, you know, epiphany um, actually took place at a young, young age. I almost wonder that. So uh, no, I, I just, I, I think that's a really fascinating part of your journey. So I want to go back to the other, the, 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 that point where you, and I appreciate you keeping it G rated for us when you're, <laughs> when you're, so you've never been to a conference, which I, which I agree is completely fascinating. Um, the fact that you were working in the, you know, in, a, in the professional setting for that long and it never been, you go to your first conference, you clearly are you clearly think, wow, like this is really, you know, this is cool. I, I got a network, you know, I learned a lot. And when you, when you got the news that you were going to, but at first, I, well, let me pause and say, I think it was great that you, what I think would say, took a risk and, and say, hey, I want to speak at this, right? Like that was, yeah. that was a bold move, right? So, you know, congrats to you for doing that because obviously it changed, your, it changed your career and it changed your life. But when you got that, that you know, that response back that, hey, yeah, Amy, we'd like you to speak. How much, how much public speaking, uh, you know, training or, or, you know, like formal education you had at that point? So the first time I spoke publicly, it was in, I think, the sixth grade. There was an Optimist speech contest in my town. And um, so, you know, I, I've always jumped at the chance to speak or to be on stage. I would have been a performer, but I can't sing. Um, I probably can't act either, but yeah, I never got I'm, the chance I'm, to find I'm out. I'm the same way. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're very similar there. So you've been, so you've been, you've always enjoyed public speaking and have done it. Yes. And, you know, I started uh, several jobs ago, I started a Toastmasters club because I aspired to a management role. And I noticed that the good managers were the ones that can engage an audience. And the, you know, if, if you really wanted to hook people, if you wanted people to work, to want to work with you or for you, you needed to be able to communicate well in a group. And I noticed that there were a lot of managers in, in that company that weren't good at that. And I thought, wow, if I'm, if I want to be a manager, I need to learn how to do this. And so, you know, I looked up like public speaking training and, you know, how do I, how do I do this? And um, I came up with Toastmasters as the way to do that. You know, the, the best way to, to build your speaking skills. And so I actually started a Toastmasters club in a very small company of about a hundred people. And I got enough people to join it. I mean, it was like half the company was involved in this club um, so that we could get it off the ground. 
And I did that for a couple of years and I was involved, um, that way. Um, and then I did some stuff at the, like at the area level within Toastmasters and I'd kind of forgotten about all of that for a while, but you know, just when I saw people up on stage doing, you know, presenting content, I thought, wow, that's something I think I could be really good at. Well, so, so this makes a little bit more sense because, and you know, from, from the work you do, people are. A lot of people are terrified of public speaking. It, it's one of their biggest fears. So the fact mm-hmm. that you were already very comfortable with that, now now the story makes a little bit more sense. Why you were like, oh wow, I have to come up with the content, but you were not afraid of the, the getting up on stage and speaking piece. So that that obviously comes naturally to you, which is why this, which is probably a big part of the reason you're successful. So I, I wanted to just hi- highlight that because that's, uh, I think I think a lot of people would probably avoid saying I want to present at a conference because of the public speaking reason. So as I tell people, I'm an only child and I'm very good at it. (laughs) Fair. Okay. No, I like that. Uh, So, so I wanted to make sure I asked those follow-up questions. So, so the whole idea of, uh, let me ask you this. So how is, how is your, how is the discussion about networking? You said you, you, you spoke 35 times last year. How is, how is, you know, your, your presentation and your content and your message kind of evolves from, from the first time you did this until now? Well, I've learned some things that I shouldn't say, some words that I shouldn't use that are very, um, that are difficult for people. And it, it helps, it, it gets in the way of the message that I'm trying to communicate if they get hung up on certain words that I use. Um, and those words are things like privilege. People don't like to hear the word privilege. Um, I have a whole, a whole story about people with round heads, um, you know, designing hats and then they have a, a coworker with a flat head that can't wear the hat. Um, and I, I started out, you know, using that example and then talking about privilege. And now I don't talk about privilege. I talk about people with round heads and people with flat heads, um, to make that distinction in my talks. Um, I've learned that some of the examples that I used, um, didn't land right with people who had different life experiences than I had. And so I've changed some of those examples to make it, um, to make my presentations um, more inclusive of people with different experiences. You know, I've tried to, to get away from some of the ableist language that I've used in the past. Um, some of the experiences that I've had, um, you know, as um you know, frankly, as a white woman. So like if I get pulled over by the police, my fear is a speeding ticket. Right. Um, and that's not the case for every one of my audience. And so I've, I've had to learn to be sensitive to that and to, to change, um, the examples that I use and the language that I use to make sure that everybody can relate to my stories in the way that I intend for them to. No, that, that, that makes sense. And I mean, it's, it sounds like it's, it's, it's almost an evolution, right? I mean, you know, it's, you've, you've been, kind of refining it as you go and as you get feedback, uh, you know, making updates, which is great. So I want, I want to pivot a little bit. So I'm assuming you didn't from, I want to pivot from you started, you did, you did this talk at the, at the conference. Clearly you didn't have your business right when you did that. At what point did you decide to take, make this into your own business and kind of take it to the next level and it be more than just you speaking at conferences? So the ironic thing is the conference that I had prepared all of this for actually got canceled um, because of a hurricane. And so once I got done with all of the ugly crying um, and making that about me, 
which of course hurricanes are all about me. Um, remember I said I was an only child and I'm good at it. Uh, but anyway, when I got done being upset about it, I thought, well, you know, this just shows me how badly I really want to do this and how important I think this message is. And if it's not going to be this conference, I've already got the material. I'll just find another conference. And instead of finding one more conference, I found 35 more. So I just kept going with it. And um, when I realized I was going to get paid for some of those conferences, I decided I probably needed a business um, to put around that so that I would have a place to to keep that money separate and I could invest in, in building out some more content and some more materials. In, in, interesting. And that it, it is ironic that you, you, you agree, you got accepted to do it, worked really hard to make it happen. And then there, there's, there's a natural disaster and you can't even go. So, but I do, I do like your determination that clearly you're passionate about it and you can do it somewhere else. So, you know, I'm glad you didn't, I'm glad it didn't, you know, put put you in the wrong path and, and to not have you pursue this. Yeah, I'm glad too, because it, I can see the difference that it's making for people. And it would just be such a shame um, if, if I hadn't carried it forward, I think. So, so let me, so let me ask you this. Doing, doing, you know, speaking at conferences and having, you know, a presentation about networking is one thing, but you now offer, you know, a variety of services through your business and you've written multiple books. So how did, I want to try to understand how, how did it grow so quickly and become what it is today from just that one presentation? Well, you know, when you have, um, when you have a blog, there's sort of this pressure to keep putting stuff on it, right. To keep it relevant, keep it current. And there were other things that I wanted to talk about beyond just networking. I wanted to talk about, you know, how our, our biases limit our hiring practices. And so I wrote some, um, some articles around that. And then I had enough of those articles. I thought, Oh, I should put those together in a book. So I created a book called hire beyond bias, um, how to pick the best person for the job. And it's not a, a an end to end hiring guide, it's sort of a supplement to your end to end hiring guide that tells you, um, you know, oh, by the way, you know, here's how to avoid bias in your job descriptions. Here's how to avoid bias when you're reviewing resumes. So it takes you through all those steps, but with a slightly different lens. Um, I created a, a networking activity journal based on Network Beyond Bias. That book is called Network Like a Champ. And that book was really born out of the fact that I talk to a lot of people and I go through a ton of notebooks. And because I, I take notes by hand, so I'll remember things better. Um, and I wanted a way to categorize my conversations with people as I was networking in real time and figure out how does this person fit into my network? What perspectives do they bring that I lack and that sort of thing? And I thought, oh, it'd be really cool if there was a, a journal that would do that for me. And of course, it didn't exist because I created the framework that I wanted to use. So I created the journal that used the framework. Um, and really, that was just a way for me to get notebooks uh, cheaper. And I thought, well, other people might want to use them too. So I put them out there. That's fine. Um, well, you know, you when you when I need something, I assume somebody else will need it eventually. Um, and so, and there's another book coming. Um, I'm a little behind schedule on it. But there's another book coming called Moving from Panic to Purpose, How to Respond to Changes in Your Career. 
And for that one, I'm drawing on all of the, um, all of the job displacement I experienced early in my career, because there are a lot of folks that are in pretty stable industries, but now they're starting to see some of that change and, and their careers are maybe not quite as stable as they used to be. I mean, they're going to be out of work, but their jobs are changing and they don't know how to react because for 30 years, their job has been the same. And so I thought, well, you know, I've got some really good experience um, learning how to pivot, learning how to keep one foot on solid ground while you're feeling out your next step with the other foot. And that's probably something that that other people could benefit from um, my experience so they don't make some of those mistakes that I've made. So, you know, I I just keep looking at what are my experiences that are a little bit unique to me or the perspective that I have on those experiences that's unique. And, um, you know, somebody said, wow, you're writing another book. And I said, yeah, I, I, as it turns out, I have a lot to say. Who knew? So well, I, I, not, not only do you have a lot of, lot to say and a lot of advice to give people, but clearly you have a passion for sharing that advice, helping people and, and giving back to the community through, through the books, because writing a book, I have not written a book, but from people that I've talked to that have done it, it is not an easy process. It, you know, it's obviously very time intensive and, it, you know, it's, it takes a lot to put into it to make it something that other people would want to read. So the fact that you uh, just keep cranking them out um, shows really how passionate you are about, you know, this topic and helping people. Thank you. I you appreciate know, that. Well, no, I mean, it, it's, it's no small undertaking. So, so let, let's, 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 let's end with this. So, uh, as, as we mentioned before, you know, when we were prepping for the call, the, my whole movement is to help people reach their full potential. So I interview awesome and interesting people like yourself so people can hear your unique career story and how and, you know, hopefully be inspired by, you know, a story you, you told or an experience you had that's going to help them in their life, you know, their career, you know, with their family, et cetera. What is what is one piece of advice or wisdom that you, Amy? Uh, could give the listeners that you think has helped helped you reach your full potential and be so successful. Connect with people who don't look like you. That that I don't think I've ever had anyone say it as succinctly as you, but I think that's beautiful uh, because it, for for a variety of reasons that you mentioned earlier. But I think a lot of people, and, and you probably know this better than anyone, they have a tendency to. To, to seek out people that look like themselves, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so whether, whether it's in at work, whether it's at the gym, school, your friends, et cetera, um, you go to what, what you know, what you feel comfortable with. So, so that's, I think that's fantastic advice. Thank you. Uh, so again, you know, what we'll do, Amy, is we will absolutely make sure we, we link to your website, lead at any level in the, uh, in, in our show description. Uh, thank you so much for making time and, and sharing your career journey and your passion for, for networking and people with us uh, on the podcast. And uh, we hope to talk again soon. Thank you for listening to the Full Potential Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our movement, please visit our website, fullpotentialmovement.com. You can also find us on social media. We have an Instagram, Facebook, and a YouTube Thank you again, and we hope you come back to hear another episode.